Fantastic. Well, Andy, it is so good to have you here. Uh, Andy comes on high recommendation uh, nationally, internationally. Um, he's a great guy, and he's told me that we may laugh, uh, but also he wants us to really take something away from tonight as well. So I, my hope is that um, it's just going to be a really fun night. Relax into it and enjoy. Thanks very much, whatever your name is. Thank you. <laughs> Bless you, Rich. Hello, everyone. It's uh, amazing to be here. I love it. I'm excited about the, the swimming pool later when Lydia gets... Let's have a proper round of applause for Lydia. That was amazing. Well done. Well done, Lydia. And while we're on the subject of baptism and swimming pools, let us spare a thought for all the small children who must have got caught in those water shoots over the years. Look at these above us. Those are not proper slides, are they? Well, there's no, end, there's no exit. We'll go searching for them later. It's great to be. This feels, I feel, I've done both other mosaic uh, services today, if you can call them services. And they've, is that Matt nodding? Yes, they're services, Andy. That's right. They're not just gatherings. Um, but this feels more like a comedy night. I feel like I'm on kind of home territory here because you are by far the most attractive of the three services. So I'll just, just let you know. I mean, look at this guy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> there were four people sitting next to him earlier, but he killed them. <laughs> I think we've met before as well, haven't we? Haven't we met before? Have you, ever, have you been to the Westwood Christian Centre? Yes, oh. Yeah. I, I said exactly the same thing to you last time, but... Anyway, what's your name again? Don't hide behind that scarf. That scarf's not going to... It won't even cover half your bicep. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Game of Thrones would look totally different if just partway through season one they introduced you to just take out the Dothraki. Single-handedly. Anyway, it's not about you. Uh, I just, I'm just excited to be with you guys. Um, as I, uh, so I am a comedian. That's been my job for 12 years. I've done 2,000 gigs. But I, um, and I want you to laugh. You're allowed to laugh. It's, it's good. When you laugh, all the tension in your body leaves. That's what laughter is. It's just a release of tension. When you laugh, anxiety and stress, it gets cast out. It gets exorcised. Imagine that. What a spiritual gift that is. So you're allowed, you're allowed to laugh, but I'm not here just to make you laugh. I'm here to preach the gospel. Okay, is that all right? The theme is Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so, well, fine, Andy. We were hoping for... Talk more about him. <laughs> so, uh, I've got a word from the Lord for you guys. Can I share it? Is that all right? <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. So, uh, this is for you guys from the Lord. It goes like this. Uh, Mosaic Central. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you. Because the Lord has appointed you, Mosaic, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent you to comfort the brokenhearted and to announce the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. Christians of Leeds, he has sent you to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come. That's about you. Do you believe that? Yeah. It's okay if you don't, there's work here to do. That's why I'm here, to convince you. That's obviously Isaiah 61, and it's about the coming of the Lord Jesus. Uh, but when he came, things that hadn't been about you started being about you. The New Testament is about you. You should read it as though it's about you and for you, because that's what will change things. That's what's changed things for me. So that's the first thing to say. 
And uh, another thing, I'll only read from the Bible, I'll quote the Bible quite a lot, but I'll only read from it twice. I was reading Genesis, I thought, well, I'm preaching this weekend, I need to read the Bible, I'll start at the beginning and see how far I can get. <laughs> I got part way through Genesis and got really bored, so... <laughs> Do that laugh more. That's the tension going right there. <laughs> Here we go. So... Uh, Genesis 1, verse 11, right at the start, it says this. Uh, then God said, let the land burst forth with every sort of grass and seed-bearing plant. And let there be trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. And the seeds will then produce the kind of plants and trees from which they came. I'll say the last bit again. The seeds will then produce the kind of plants and trees from which they came. So, picture that. You've got the seeds, and they are producing trees and plants. But they're producing the kind of trees and plants from which they came. So you've got a line of three. Are you with me so far? You've got three generations of seed, all producing what the previous generation has produced. The analogy is this. Um, the analogy is this. Don't use this microphone. I love the other one, Rich. Thank you. That's brilliant. There we go. Thanks, Sean. Hey, Sean, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you, mate. Look at that. What's your name, sir? Walter. Walter, the Lord has sent you to bind up the brokenhearted. How do you feel about that? Amen. Amen. In, that's the right answer. This doesn't go very far. I'll start. Oh, no. See, the thing is, like, I can, with the mic, it at least feels like we're in a church. Like, I can do it without the mic, but it feels more like a hostage situation, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> do that laugh more. So I'll just, I'll do it. It'll be fine. Uh, I'll move. I'll just stand over here. I'm not bothered. A bit of slapstick comedy. Uh, fortunately, this is about Jesus, not me. Um, so, yeah. So the point is this: you've got the seeds producing the type of trees and plants from which they came. If in this country we want to see our land changed, if we want to see our nation changed. When I say nation, I don't mean because England is God's favourite. It's not. Romans 2 says God does not show favouritism. But we live in this country currently. Some people going back to America, but it's the same for people living in America. Or wherever you are, Botswana, Azerbaijan, it doesn't matter. If we want to see the land around us change, the families and friends that we have changed, then we need to start reaping, we need to start sowing rather, in a different way to previous generations. Because what we are currently reaping... The church in this, in this country, although we are the outsiders, the church globally is booming. The percentage of Christians to non-Christians is higher than it has ever been. It started with 11 blokes in a function room above a pub, and here we are now. Christianity is not shrinking. It's exploding. We are the outlier. So don't worry about that, but let's not be the outlier. The problem is that we are reaping what previous generations have sowed, which is apathy and religion, and empire, and it's not good enough. Now, it's not to say there's no condemnation. The church has always done lots of things very, very well. What it, we haven't done well in this country is preach the gospel and share God's love for people because we've been a Christian nation. We've just let things slide. If you want to see your kids and grandkids or the generations coming after you explode for Jesus, I don't mean explode like bombs. You know, If you want to see Christianity explode... All of it, we have to start sowing in a different way. And some of that will look difficult. Some of that 
will make us feel uncomfortable because it won't look like what we've been brought up to believe. For some of you, that will mean going out onto the street and sharing the gospel. For some of you, that will mean quitting your jobs so you can be a full-time missionary. Whatever it is. But it's good. I, I live in Huddersfield. And um, some people from Huddersfield? You like Huddersfield, Walter? Brilliant. If you could list throughout the talk all the places you like in the country, that will be... What else do you like? Yes. You like animals. Huddersfield and animals. Classic. Anyway, brilliant. Bless you, Walter. I told you, you you've been sent to bind up the brokenhearted. And I can see, mate, you've got such a good heart. I just see that about you. What a heart. Yes, brilliant. Well, you, that's basically the talk. That's the end. Walter's nailed it. Walter has absolutely smashed it out of the park. The end. Become Christians. Thanks, Walter. I'll carry on for my, on my own for a bit now. So I was in Huddersfield, which Walter likes, and I was there when uh, when they won the playoff final. You know, they beat Reading on penalties. I was there. I wasn't. I'm not a Huddersfield fan, so I wasn't watching the match. I'd been for a cheeky Nando's, uh, having a great. It wasn't just cheeky. It was downright rude. It was a massive Nando's. It was affronting in the extreme. Anyway, I was there when they when they won on penalties and they came racing out the pubs and they were going mad. And one this one bloke comes racing up to me. He says, "Hey lad, isn't it great news? Isn't it great news? Win t- 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 Premiership, isn't it great news?" Now, by the way, that is a very good Huddersfield accent. It is, however, my generic northern accent. If this had happened in Newcastle upon Tyne, same accent. <laughs> my Scottish, Irish, and pirates are all the same voice. <laughs> My attempt at Welsh tends to offend my Hindu friends. I've got to be very careful when I'm doing accents. Do we have any Welsh people in? Well, just one person at the back. I apologise. Wales is the most welcoming place in the UK. Yeah, you agree. I'm glad you agree. Is Wales, if you haven't been, is the most welcoming place in the UK. Because as you drive into any town or village in Wales, you have the name of the town in English, and then underneath that, they write the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> It's because Welsh words just look like random letters. Yeah. <laughs> Less time at the gym. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> I'm having such a good time with you guys, but I am, I am going to preach the gospel. So. This guy comes up to me and says, integrate news. And he raced off. And I thought, my goodness me, this guy is an evangelist. Amen. Amen, Walter. This guy is an evangelist. Because he has experienced something that has changed his outlook. He has met something which has filled him with such joy. Something has changed his outlook so that he can go onto the street and tell people. And the reason he was an amazing evangelist is because he wasn't bothered how I reacted. He couldn't care less whether I knew anything about Huddersfield Town, whether I was interested. He had great news. He showed me, he told me, and he raced off, bounded off down the street to tell the next person and leaving me with Nando's based indigestion. (laughs) I don't know many Christians who talk about Jesus with that level of excitement. I do sometimes. You do sometimes. Not all the time. Why not? In the book of Luke, chapter 2, when the angels appear to the shepherds on the hillside, they say, we bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, not just Huddersfield Town. 
All people, the gospel, the good news about Jesus is good for all people everywhere throughout time. Why aren't we excited about it? We should be. Now, some of this sounds a little bit bleak initially. I, I'll get the bad news out of the way first. You know, it's okay if it seems a bit bleak at, at the moment. You've got to have the bad news before you have the good news. You've got to have the crucifixion before you have the resurrection. Do you understand? That's how things work. You know, in the Bible, without, you know, without the crucifixion, the resurrection would just be a bloke going outside. It's not the same sort of... It doesn't have the same impact. <laughs> Ta-da! What? What is it? Well, I'm out. So what? Oh, yes, I see what you mean, yes. The reason why we're not excited, religion, Walter, exactly right. I have written the talk, so I know what comes, but that you are right. <laughs> it's, it's likely that I'm going to keep getting distracted, and so we may not finish this talk unless we stay till midnight. So let me give you the major points of the talk. The major points of the talk, before we carry on, are it is important to share the gospel. Absolutely, we do need to do that. But we won't want to do that until we're excited, unless we're excited. And we shouldn't need to do it unless we're excited. And to be excited about sharing the gospel, we need to know who we are, who we were born to be. And until we know who God is, then we won't know who we are. So the rest of the talk is basically founded on all of that. Oh, baby. Is that, is that right? Oh, thank goodness. Can you imagine if I got that wrong? No, I'm not having a baby. Oh. Anyway, do that laugh more. So, reaping and sowing. At some point between the book of Acts and now, people have stopped reaping and stopped sowing in the way that they did in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 14. The book of Acts is amazing, right? If you want to know what it's like to be a Christian, what it should be like, read the book of Acts. That's for you, okay? Acts chapter 14 in Derby and Lystra. They've been to Lystra. They go down the road to Derby um, in the East Midlands. A lot of the book of Acts is set in the East Midlands, just along the A50. Uh, It's Paul and Barnabas, right? And it's brilliant. They're there. They're sharing the gospel. There's a disabled guy who gets totally healed. The crowd are going absolutely mad. They're loving it. They're like, wow, this is brilliant. You guys are amazing. You must be Greek gods. They think that uh, Barnabas is uh, Zeus and Paul is Hermes. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, 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 no. You've got it wrong. We're just men like you. We're here to tell you about Jesus. No, 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 say the crowd. You're definitely Greek. Let's get the barbecue on. Sacrifice some oxen to you. Very confusing. And it gets even worse. A group of Jews come in from another place, turn the crowd into a murderous mob. They absolutely batter Paul. They throw him out of the city like the cat at the end of the Flintstones. They leave him for dead. The apostles gather around, they pray over him. Paul gets up and he goes back into the city. Did you hear that? He goes back in, where he's been met with confusion, cynicism and physical violence. He goes back in. Why? Because he knows, isn't it great news? He knows that there's something worth dying for. He knows, he has, I mean, what he's had sown into his life is the vision of the physical Jesus. So, fair enough, I've never had that. But it doesn't matter, it's the same Lord. At some point between then and now, we've stopped sowing in that way. And so we're not reaping that. And so we don't understand that actually sharing the gospel is amazing. Sharing the gospel is not just amazing, it's easy. We'll come to that. And I'm preaching to myself as well because I've, I've been a Christian for 12, I'm 35 now, I've been a Christian for 12 years um, 
up until the last two years, I wasn't living as I am trying to live now. I was a coward, right? I lived in Moss Side, live in Huddersfield now, lived in Moss Side. Um, I've got, uh, um, I've got uh, a, a, a wife. I was thinking of the word, it's wife. I've got a wife. <laughs> yeah, sorry ladies, taken. <laughs> when I say taken, when I say taken, I mean in the Liam Neeson sense, I was kidnapped. Um, <laughs> waiting, for, waiting for an old man to come and rescue me. I... Uh, I'm married. I'm always a bit, my wife's called Rebecca. I'm always a bit embarrassed about the, the nickname I have for her, though. My, my pet name for my wife is Bambi. Yeah, you know, because she's cute and a bit clumsy, and I want to shoot her mum. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, we live in Huddersfield. We live in Huddersfield, but we used to live in Manchester. And when we lived in Manchester, we moved house from a classic Coronation Street style terraced house to a cul de sac in a slightly nicer part of Moss Side. And uh, we moved in, and my, my wife said to me, uh, I'll unpack the boxes, you go down the road to Aldi and get us some basic provisions. So you come out of our cul-de-sac, 200 yards on the right, massive Aldi. You know what Aldi is, don't you? Of course you do, we're in Leeds. So I go into Aldi, I'm in Aldi, I'm getting all the basic provisions that you can get from Aldi. Bread, milk, fishing rod, it's all in the middle aisle, isn't it? Oh, there's a donkey, donkey on sale, come on donkey. Meh. That's not the sound of a donkey, not sure why I made that noise. Cross between a chicken and a sheep. Make that laugh more. I was in the queue. I'm in the queue. You haven't made any notes yet. It's like, what is this? <laughs> Am I in the right place? <laughs> is he saved? Loads of question marks. <laughs> so, I'm in Aldi. I'm in the queue in Aldi, behind this woman who turns out to be my new next door neighbour. Anne, her name is. Lovely lady, quite frail, 82 years old. Now, I didn't know at the time Anne was my new next door neighbour. Had I known that she was my new next door neighbour, of course I would have made polite, gospel-tinged conversation. Equally, had Anne known that I was her new next door neighbour, she might not have looked quite as petrified when I followed her home. Everybody, this is... Uh, what I want to talk to you about. The first 100 yards were absolutely fine. No problem whatsoever with the first 100 yards. But once we got back to the cul-de-sac and Anne saw that I was still gaining ground like Terminator 2, it became obvious that she thought I was going to mug her. <laughs> and if I'm totally honest, part of me thought, well, you've done the legwork. She'll yield quite easily at this point. You might as well take the fishing rod and be done with it, you know. Go and live in the woods. I didn't do that. I didn't have chance. Anne saw that I was there and speeded up to a sprint, raced inside her house like the Usain Bolt of the octogenarian world and slammed the door shut. I thought, oh no, what a moron. I've only been here for two hours. I've already terrified the locals. I'm supposed to be here to build community, not to totally decimate it. This poor, lovely old lady trapped in a house thinking there's some kind of lunatic on the loose. I can't allow her to sit like that. I can't allow her to think there's some kind of weird stalker around. I better go over and explain. <laughs> so I went to knock on the door. As you can imagine, she didn't answer. Despite me standing outside saying, I know you're in there. I just want to talk. You told that's where the story ends. It's not where the story ends. As it turns out, Anne had been in Aldi for one reason. The only reason Anne had been in Aldi was to buy a Victoria sponge cream cake as a welcome gift for her new neighbours. 
a cream cake that she brought around later on that day. Now, later on that day, I'm in my house doing some chores. My wife has taken our little girls, five and two, out to meet some of the other neighbours. But they're the only people I know in the area, so when the doorbell goes, I'm expecting it to be them, but it's not. Some of you won't have kids, most of you won't have kids, but when you do have kids, you'll realise that the thing that little kids like the most is when adults act like kids. My daughter's five and two. What they really love the most is when daddy is really silly. I've got this thing I do all the time. They can't get enough of it. They won't see me. I'll just creep up on them. And I'll just jump out. They love that. So the doorbell goes. Yes. Yes. The doorbell goes. I think it's my wife and daughter's returning. It's not. It's 82-year-old Anne. Clutching a Victoria sponge, still quaking from the weird stalker guy who may still be on the loose for all she knows. I wish this wasn't true, but I promise you it is. I went to the door, I unlocked the front door, and then, thinking it was my daughter's, I opened the door to Anne like this. Hello! The point is this, for weeks after that, maybe even months, I was terrified of going out of the house in case Anne was there. I didn't want to leave the house. I was so embarrassed. I was so scared. If I knew she was there getting into a car, I'd close the curtains. I didn't want her to see me. I didn't want to see her. And this is a problem because I was acting out of embarrassment and embarrassment comes out of fear, which comes out of pride. The only real sin is pride. Everything else comes from that. And that's a problem for me because I was calling myself a Christian. And if I'm as a Christian acting out of fear, partnering with fear, then there's something wrong because the Bible tells me, <laughs> finally, yeah, finally mentions the Bible. <laughs> the Bible tells me that I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love power and a sound mind. It also tells me that the thing that casts out fear is perfect love, i.e. Jesus. So if I'm sitting in fear and calling myself a Christian, I'm sorry, I just don't understand how perfectly loved I am. If I'm sitting in fear, if I, I remember saying I'm not made for this, well then I don't realise that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen indeed. You keep saying amen, Walter, it really helps me. I, I, I mean it. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. So what's the problem? Religion, again, yes. It is, it is religion. It is religion. It's different forms of religion. It might, it might be different for different people. But why is it, for me, why is that discrepancy? Why am I acting out? Why is that my dominant narrative? I believe the Bible to be true theologically, conceptually, but why do I not let it dominate my life? I think for me, the problem, as Walter says, is, is religion. For me, it's that... I became a Christian when I was 22, but I was raised in a society and became a Christian into a society that was nominally Christian. Actually, even for you guys, some of you who are at uni, it's already changing, so we're not even that now. But when I became a Christian, you know, we were still sort of nominally Christian. I've been raised in a society which was sort of pro-Jesus. We would have voted for Jesus. And I was raised in, a bit like Lydia. I was raised in a sort of Christian home. I inherited a Christianity, though, that wasn't Christianity. Like you, Lydia, I inherited middle-class Christianity. I inherited nominal Christianity. There's nothing more dangerous than nominal Christianity. As Lydia was saying, it's rules without relationship. It's obedience to nothing. How can you be obedient when you don't know who you are? How, why, would you, why would you do what someone says if you don't know what that person thinks about you? 
And if you don't think they think very nice things about you, that's not relationship, that's oppression. Religion. It's religion. I inherited middle-class Christianity. Now, this is where we become controversial, because there's people in this room, me included, who are both middle-class and Christian. <laughs> and that's okay. If you are one of those people, I need you to know that the fight is not against you, not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. There's nothing wrong with being a middle-class Christian. I want you to be at least one of those things. But middle-class Christianity... <laughs> middle-class Christianity is a problem. It's a power which needs to be dealt with. I inherited a Christianity um, where I was told that what was most important in my life, and you'll be at this stage now because you're at uni, what was most important in my life was making something of myself, make a success of yourself. There's nothing wrong with being successful. However, if I'm a Christian and I'm trying to make something of myself, but I'm following a guy who Philippians 2 talks about us, talks about as saying, not considering equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself what? Famous? Wealthy? Nothing. Jesus made himself nothing so God could be glorified through him. If I'm following a guy who made himself nothing and I'm trying to make something of myself, well, no wonder people aren't becoming Christians around me because they're not getting Christianity. They're not getting the gospel. I inherited a middle-class Christianity where I was shown, not by what people said, but by how they lived, that what was most important in life was comfort and security. Providing comfort and security for yourself and for your family. Now, I like comfort and I like security, but the guy I follow didn't come to provide security for himself. He came to lay down his life. He came to die. He came to die. People showed me that life wasn't all about Jesus. Like, we were pro-Jesus, we were fans of Jesus, but life wasn't all about Jesus. And again, Hebrews 1 disagrees with middle-class Christianity, because right at the start of the letter to the Hebrews, the writer says, of Jesus, that God the Father created the universe through him and appointed him heir to all things. It says of Jesus that he is the full radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. My friends, the Bible says that life is all about Jesus. It starts with him, it will end with him, and it is sustained by him. And if it's not all about Jesus, then the Bible is lying and we don't need to read any of it. Some of it's quite confusing. If the Bible is not telling the truth, then let's forget it. Let's forget this nonsense about the greatest story ever told. Let's acknowledge in front of everybody that the greatest story ever told is the Princess Bride. I'm happy with that. <laughs> but if the Bible is not lying about life being all about Jesus, then somebody else is. And in my case, it was middle-class Christianity. Because the Bible doesn't tell me that my inheritance is middle-class Christianity. The Bible tells me that my inheritance is something that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And it is love, and hope, and peace, and joy, and fullness of life. My friends, if you are a Christian here today, I want you to hear this. Freedom is your birthright. You have a large share in hope. Laughter was created with you in mind. You specifically, I think, actually. The one with the amazing laugh. These are true. These things are true. These are your inheritances. You get everything that Jesus gets. It says that you are co-heirs with Christ, who in Hebrews 1, it says, is the heir to all things. You get everything he gets. Freedom, joy, hope, peace, love. You get it all in its fullness. If you're a Christian, that's your birthright. So if you're, so the story for me then was that when I went to Warwick University in, in 1999, I went as a believer, I believed in Jesus. But I went 
And I became a massive hedonist. I became your classic university hedonist, doing what people do. Because I didn't have an identity rooted in Jesus. I didn't have that identity. And so I went searching for an identity, whether it was sex or drinking. I never did drugs, but I used to love fighting. Fighting was amazing. Because I didn't have an identity. I didn't know who I was. So I'd try and gain an identity by knocking other people down. I'd try and show that I was harder than other people. And I used to do this amazing thing. It's weird talking about it now, but this was funny at the time. If I was in a conflict situation, before a fight starts, and there's pushing and swearing and stuff like that, I'd just start laughing. Even if it was you, my friend, I'd start laughing. And what would happen when you start laughing in your conflict situation, it freaks other people out because they think, why is he laughing? We're about to have a fight. Why is he laughing? Does he know something that we don't? And I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything that they didn't. It was just smoke and mirrors. I didn't know who I was. So if you're here and you're not currently following Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I want you to know I'm not here to try and convince you that God exists because that won't change anything. Believing that he exists won't change anything. I'm not even here to convince you that Jesus rose from the dead. Because in and of itself, that belief won't change anything. James, the book of James tells us, even the demons believe that. Look at the state that they're in. Hashtag awkward. I've done two hashtags already. I promise not to do another one. What changes things is not believing that God exists. What changes things? Write this down. This is really wise. What changes things is believing that God changes things. What changes things is believing that God's love actually transforms and then letting it. What changes things, what has changed it for me, what changes things I think in general, is understanding who you were born to be. And who you weren't born to be. You were not born, as Lydia has come to realise, you, you were not born just to believe in God. Exactly where I'm coming to, Walter. He's seen the notes. You weren't born to just believe in God, or just to worship God, or just to serve God. You were born, as Walter says, to be a child of God. That's who you were born to be. And as a child, you are in a relationship with a father. And it's him. And he's a good, good father. He's way better than me. I'm a terrible dad. My wife says to me, uh, if our daughters are naughty, don't shout at them because you'll just teach them fear. If they're naughty, give them a consequence. Set them a boundary. That way you'll teach them good behaviour. That all sounds very well and good. Uh, problem is, I'm not very good at setting consequences because I don't know what I'm going to say from one moment to the next. Most of what I've said so far. I hadn't planned it. This banter was almost inappropriate. <laughs> But at least I'm not Dothraki, so I'm still alive. <laughs> I can't set boundaries for my daughters because I don't know what I'm going to say. And this is a problem for me. So whenever my wife is out and I'm doing the parenting, I'm worried that they'll misbehave because I just don't know what I'm going to come out with in terms of consequence. A few weeks ago, my wife was out at Zumba. She's a fit woman. She's allowed to go there. I was doing the dinner, uh, dinner and bedtime on my own. <laughs> my daughters refused to eat their dinner. And as a consequence, I threatened to kill the cat. <laughs> not sure if you've read any books on parenting, but the golden rule of parenting is be consistent. You've got to go through with it. <laughs> Girl, stop crying. When mummy comes home, you can get a new cat. <laughs> Think about daddy for once. I've got to make this look like an accident. <laughs> He's a... <laughs> the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. He's a good, good father. 
That's who you're supposed to know him as, as your dad. Abba Father, Father, exactly what I'm coming to. Walter, you're so prophetic, man. (laughs) I mean it. Abba, do you know, Jesus, it blew the disciples' minds when Jesus used the phrase Abba, because Abba was the most intimate word they had for Father. And it doesn't mean Daddy, but it's the most intimate word they had. The most intimate word we have for Father is Daddy, so it's okay to say Daddy God, and it blew their mind. Jesus uses the word Father more than any other word he uses in the New Testament. That is not an accident. He is your daddy. You are supposed to know him as your daddy. In Acts 17, Paul says, um, God is not far from any of us. But that's not the end game. That's, that's the start. It's, God's love is not supposed to be something to be looked out at, out, out there, as a concept. It's not supposed to be looked out at. It's supposed to be lived out from here. Jesus says, I will come and make my home in you. When, when God's love is in there and you know it is, that's what changes things. When you understand that you are a child of God, you can read the New Testament as though it's about you. You can read Galatians 4, 6 and 7 where it says, you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. Imagine if you read that as though it was about you. That you personally were no longer a slave to whatever it is that seeks to enslave you, but that you were a son or a daughter. Not that you were going to be free, but Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Your sins are never talked of as dying or about to die. They are dead. They are dealt with. When you understand you're a child of God, you can read the Bible as though it's about you. That's why I started with Isaiah 61, because the Lord has anointed you, all of you, to preach good news to the poor, to share God's love with people, to declare freedom and release for the captives and those who are prisoners. Imagine that. Imagine if you left here today knowing that that was about you. Imagine how leads could be changed. That's what changes things. Uh, Rich, could I have some water, mate? I've, just, I've had such a nice time so far. I'm so excited. Oh, just, yeah, just this off someone's bike. Fine. (laughs) Thank you. I feel welcome. Um, So so that's what changes things. Um, And once you understand who you are, once you understand that you're a son and a daughter, that's what will change things around you. Because when you know that, you'll start sowing in a different way. And people will start reaping what you're sowing. So I live in Slowit, the village of Slowit, just outside Huddersfield. I was out recently uh, with my friend Ola, and um, we were just we we're just going around the streets offering to pray for some people. And we met this massive group of teenagers. Uh, we'd found actually we found two of them, and then like 15 others came round the corner just as we approached, we surrounded by them. Oh no! Um, and they came around, and they were sort of circling us, and we we're offering to pray. And the ringleader comes up. And he says, uh, what's going on here? Like, he's talking to me, all the others circling us. Some of, like, some of them are interested. Some of us are telling me uh, I've got learning difficulties or I'm same-sex attracted. I, w- I was grateful for all of that, but they're just being teenagers. Uh, and this ringleader comes up, Nathan, and he squares up to me. He's only 15 years old, but he's a big rugby, le- rugby league player. He's as tall as me already. And he's not aggressive, but he is confrontational. He says, what's going on? Are you, who, are you, who are you praying to? What are you praying for? What's going on here? And I heard God say, and it's annoying when Christians say, I heard God say, what do we mean? What do I mean? All I mean when I say, I heard God say, is that a thought dropped into my mind, which corresponded with the feeling in my heart that I should say something. That's all I mean. It's the same voice that says, oh, I've got to pick my daughters up from school on four hours late. <laughs> I don't want to go into that, really. Uh, 
So the voice you have in your head is not always God's voice, but that's how he speaks. He's given us our mind and our spirit. So he's, when we hear God speak, it is through that channel. It's very rarely, occasionally it might be an external voice, but usually it's just that. So what I heard God say was, ask Nathan about his dad. So I said to Nathan, all these people swarming around us, I said, Nathan, tell me about your dad. And he went from being the alpha male and he dropped to the street urchin. And he said, I, I don't know my dad. I've never met my dad. I said, Nathan, I knew that because God just told me that. And I've got some really good news for you, mate. I've got some really good news for you. And the good news is that there is a father who loves you. That you have been abandoned and rejected by your biological father. But your yearning for a father that you have, I know you have, I see it in you, is there because it can be met. It can be met. You know when you're thirsty and you can have a drink? You're hungry, you can have food. You want to have sex and within the good boundaries, you're allowed to. But all the things that we desire can be met. We have a longing for unconditional love. We have a lo- it's exactly what we need, Walter. We have longing for love from parents. I said to Nathan, mate, I need you to know that there is a God who loves you and he wants to be your father. And I can tell you, because the Bible has told me, that before he created you in your mother's womb, he knew you. He knew everything about who you would be and who he wanted you to be. And he also offers to never leave you and never forsake you, unlike your biological dad. There is a God who is your heavenly daddy who offers to never leave you. And I think, I just want to let you know, I think God wants to let you know what it's like to be a son and to have a dad. And I want you to think about that. And he said, yeah, yeah, I will think about that. And there was no miracle. He didn't drop to his knees or start crying. But I saw something in his eyes that looked a lot like hope. Because I'd sowed a seed and all I did was tell this guy who thought he was an orphan that he wasn't born to be an orphan and God wasn't going to leave him that way. And that is good news. That is the gospel. I didn't convict him of his sin. I didn't tell him not to be naughty. I didn't give him good advice. I shared some good news. And I was able to do that because I know who I am. In Luke 10, um, when Jesus sends out the disciples, he sends out the 72. He sends them out to, to bless and to stay with and to minister and to preach the gospel. When they come back, they come back absolutely overwhelmed. They come back with great joy and rejoicing. They say, Lord, it's unbelievable. Even the demons obey you. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, of course they do. I'm the Lord. What do you expect? That's not the point. I'm paraphrasing here. But he basically says, look, it's not the point. Of course they obey you. I am Jesus Christ. But don't, don't concern, he says, don't concern yourself with the fact that the spirits obey you. Concern yourself with the fact that your names are written in heaven. Meaning this, I think, when we share the gospel, it doesn't matter how people react. It's not important. What is important is knowing who we are, that we're children of God, that we are safe. I know as a comedian that if you live for other people's affirmation, you'll die by their condemnation. Trust me, I know that. Of all the things I've said, that is the thing I know most deeply. That's not my identity as a child of God. You can reject me. You can hate me. It doesn't matter. I can still tell you from a position of security, God loves you. Jesus came to find you. The Bible is about you. That's what it means to share the good news. Confidently, without fear, without guilt or shame, all the other things that religion brings. Um, I've got a few more things to say. It doesn't involve me dropping this piece of paper. I've got a friend, Liz, and um, Liz, uh, she lives in Halifax. She's been a friend of mine for many years. And um, she, uh, when she was a little girl, she wanted to be a writer. That was her heart's desire, to be a writer. 
but instead of being a writer, uh, she was abused, both verbally, physically, and sexually, by her biological father. Uh, and uh, he used to scroll the word ugly on her wall, her bedroom wall. And when she was naughty as a little girl, as she often was, according to him, he would make her stand outside in all weathers, overnight, with no clothes on, as punishment for being naughty. Right? Very quickly, she was taken off her family, uh, but she, she went into social services. But because she didn't have an identity, she didn't know the love of her parents, she she just kind of, she was lost. And so she became, as a younger girl, but still a girl, she became a prostitute. She went onto the streets and she was a prostitute. And then she was abused again and again and again. She longed for the unconditional love of a father. Instead, she became the object of lust for a lot of men who didn't understand they were born to be sons of God. And she was abused and abused and abused. And then about six, seven years ago, something happened. She met a group of people who told her a different story. They told her a story about who she was born to be. Ephesians 4.24 says, you were created to be like God. You, individually. And that's what Liz was told. That the stuff she was experiencing wasn't her birthright, wasn't who she was created to be, and didn't have to be the thing that defined her. They told her about a God who loved her so much that he would come and find her, meet her in her present, redeem her past, and give her a future. And so she believed them and she became a Christian, and it's amazing. And I'll tell you why it's amazing, uh, for several reasons. One of the reasons it's amazing is because, as a result of understanding that, as a result of believing that, the little girl who wanted to be a writer now is... Yes, you said. That's fantastic. Yes. Rightly so. That's the right response. She's written this little book. It's her first book. But she's a writer. She's a writer because she now knows she wasn't born to be abused. She was born to be loved. And the yearning that she had for a father, for a father's love, can be met and has been met. And that's why she can operate in freedom. Another thing happened, so I run, as you know now, the Westwood Christian Centre in Huddersfield, a little retreat centre where you've been and bantered with me, even though you didn't want to. And we had a week of prayer, we had a week of prayer there, and um, Liz came, and a couple of things happened at the week of prayer. The first thing that happened is after six years, Liz called God Daddy for the first time. Amen indeed, Walter. Imagine that. Daddy had always meant physical abuse and now it means unconditional love imagine the change of mind that someone has to have the change of heart imagine the power needed for that to change it's the power of the gospel so she called god daddy for the first time and other things happened uh she started hearing from god she started writing down things that jesus was saying to her and again if you're not a christian it sounds weird to say god said to me it's not You just need to understand that we are children of God. He's our father. That's a relationship. In a relationship, people speak to one another. That's how it's supposed to be. And so Liz wrote down, bear in mind, this is the girl who was abused all through her childhood. Men just meant power and control. She's talking about the God who came to earth in the form of a man. She's speaking about Jesus the man as well as Jesus the God. But this is what she wrote down. This is what she heard Jesus say about her. And it's also about you because it's about you. This is what Jesus said to Liz. Uh, My cross is not clean. It is stained with blood. My blood that I happily shed for my people. Do not be afraid to bring your troubles to the cross and to me. I will always listen to you even if you are angry at me or reject me. 
I love you unconditionally, no matter what you think you have done. I do not keep stock of your mistakes. Each mistake is the very first mistake. I will never persecute you or punish you when you make a mistake. All I will do is love you and throw my arms around you. Do not be afraid to trust me and let my love fill your life. I can offer you freedom and all you have to do is take it. I want you to share my love with the world and tell them there is a better way. Tell them that no matter what, they are loved by me. Congratulations, you just heard the gospel. Some of you have heard that for the first time, but that's the gospel. That is the good news. It is a life transformed by the transforming love of Jesus. And it comes not because of feelings. It isn't about feelings. Like What we do as a generation is we feel very deeply. Like I watched Stranger Things season two last night and I felt really weird. I wasn't sure whether God loved me. <laughs> I, feel, I felt amazing this morning because I had six coffees. And later on, I'll feel terrible because I've told you I've had six coffees. God's love for me at, along that cycle will not change at any point. God's love for me doesn't change because of how I feel. My identity in Christ isn't any different because of how many coffees I've had or how many episodes of Stranger Things I've watched. I said what changes things is believing that God changes things. Things change when your mind changes. Romans 12, Paul says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not your feelings. It isn't about how you feel. Feelings are a great gauge, but they are not your masters. It's all through. At no point in the New Testament does it talk about do things based on how you feel. Romans 6, Paul says, Think of yourselves as dead to sin. You are dead to sin, so think about it that way. James chapter 1, consider it pure joy. Don't wait to feel joyful so you can have a nice life. Consider it joy. The feelings will come afterwards. John 8, Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You are not mastered by your feelings. Your feelings are great, but they change according to how much coffee you've had, what you've been watching on TV, who you've been speaking to. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Understand who you are. And who you are, whatever you believe about Jesus, who you are is someone who was created to be like God. Uh, there's a sense in which, we're nearly finished, there's a sense in which the Bible is your biography because it's about you. And my favourite verse in your biography, the Bible, is Colossians, Colossians 2.15. And it says uh, of Jesus, Having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Wow! Did you hear that? Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. A public spectacle. He lured them out into the open. They thought they'd won, but they had not won. He won the victory. He triumphed over them by the cross. What do we mean by powers and authorities? What we mean is anything that would steal your identity from who you were born to be. It might be addiction, it might be guilt, it might be shame, it might be depression, it might be a physical ailment. Depression, addiction, anything like that. He can't, but he tries. Might come to that, Walter. 
Again, you've basically stolen my material. <laughs> and you deliver it better as well, that's the real tragedy. <laughs> Matt, you're sacked, Walter runs Mosaic now. Just have another drink. <laughs> this, is, this is important. I don't know how you feel about the cross. Those of you who currently aren't Christians. The cross is the thing that killed Jesus. But for you, the cross is a stop sign for everything that would seek to kill you. The cross is a no-entry sign for everything that would seek to kill you. It's a go-no-further sign for everything that would steal your joy, steal who you were born to be. It's like the bit in The Lord of the Rings where Gandalf's fighting the Balrog on the bridge. That's what that's about. It's Colossians 2.15. You shall not pass. You're not going to get to my friends. I will take you down. I will go down with you happily because I know that when I go down, I can come back. You have to stay dead. The story of Christianity is this. Jesus came to find us. No other religion says that God comes to find us. We're on our own. No one else is coming for us. There's no other rescue plan. There is no other religion where you can be sure that you are forgiven. It doesn't exist. You know that you need forgiveness. All of us at different points, we need forgiveness. There isn't a relationship, business or social or personal, that can exist without forgiveness. That's why relationships break down. That's why business deals break down. Because of a lack of trust, a lack of forgiveness. Christianity, I don't mean that as the religion, but the biblical Christianity, what Jesus came to do, is the only worldview where you can be sure of your forgiveness. Why? Why can you be sure that you're forgiven? Because he's already given something for you. Him. Himself. And when he died on the cross, every power of darkness that would seek to kill you, steal your joy, destroy your life, whether you're a Christian or not, he did it for you. Every, every one of those powers was stuck to the cross. And when he died and went down into the grave, that all went with him. And when he rose again, it stayed dead because it's death and death can't rise. The only thing that can rise from death is life itself and that is Jesus. And that's the gospel. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at, but I need you to know that freedom is your birthright. You were born to be like God. You were born to inherit amazing things. Your inheritance is not financial. Fullness of life isn't Netflix and Amazon Prime conjoined. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, The thief comes to steal and destroy. I have come. First of all, notice that bit. I have come. I'm here. I've shown up. No one else has. You're lost and you're broken and you need help. And I'm here. And I've come so that you can have fullness of life. Not so that you can do things out of a misplaced sense of duty. Not so you can be religious. So you can have fullness of life. Freedom. My friends, there's freedom here if you want it. Let me tell you how I know there's freedom. Let me, let me explain as a final thing how I've had my mind renewed. So, um, when I got married to, to Bambi uh, eight years ago, uh, she was a self-harmer. She was a massive self-harmer. And um, I mean, so she's given me permission to talk about these things, obviously. So in the first year of our marriage, she used to cut her wrists a lot with scissors. And um, she had a lot of suicidal thoughts. And on one occasion, she threatened to kill herself. She didn't, but the threat was enough. Hearing it was enough. But because I didn't understand who I was meant to be, who I was born to be, 
I was a believer, but not a disciple. I didn't understand I was a child of God. I didn't act out of freedom. I acted, I acted out of fear. I sat in fear. And fear for me looked like porn. Masses and masses of porn. Porn addiction. And so our relationship got more and more frayed. And it was horrible. But because of the renewing of the mind, because of understanding what Jesus has done on the cross... I can stand here eight years later and I can tell you, first of all, I'm not a porn addict anymore. I'm free of that. And some of you might not think there's anything wrong with porn. Well, let's have a conversation about that another time. But you would agree that addiction breaks things down. And I'm no longer addicted now because of Jesus. And someone might say, careful, Andy, once an addict, always an addict. I'm sorry, I strongly disagree. Once a child of God, always a child of God. I can also stand before you and tell you that my wife is healed. She is healed. She's no longer a self-harmer. She is healed. And there's an amazing bit in the Gospels where Jesus comes back after the resurrection. The first time he appears to his disciples, Thomas isn't there. He's at Zumba or somewhere. He's Nando's. He's had a cheeky Nando's. So when he comes back the second time, because Thomas doesn't believe them, he's like, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Yeah, yeah, nice one. Yeah, prank. Sure you have, guys. Yeah, nice one. So we really have. When Jesus comes back the second time, he says, Thomas, come here. Touch my hands, touch my, touch my wrists. And he touches the Lord's hands and wrists. And he says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. As in, it's you. It's really you. Because they're scars, they're not wounds. He sees that they're healed. He sees the resurrection power. Eight years later, I can look at the scars, the very visible scars on my wife's arms. And I can see that they're beautiful. They're like a work of art. And I can rejoice. And I can look at Jesus and talk to Jesus and say, my Lord and my God, thank you. It was you. You healed her. You set us free. I can rejoice because they're scars. They're not wounds. At the time, they were open and they were wounds and they were bloody and they looked like death and they were leading to death. Eight years later, I look at the scars of my wife's arms and I rejoice because they no longer look like death. They look like resurrection. They look like new life. By his wounds, her wounds are healed. Isaiah, is it 53? Where is it? Isaiah 44? It's in Isaiah. By his wounds we are healed. What, 2,500 years ago that was said? We are living that out now. We are free because we know that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. I know I am no longer a slave. The desire to look at porn doesn't ever go away. But when the desire comes, I know that the feeling is not what masters me. I am not a slave to sin. I am a slave to Jesus. And he has set me free. That's what it means to be a slave to Christ. It means to be free. So when the temptation comes, I just laugh at it. Sorry, you don't get to win. And that's the thing, whatever you're going through, whether you're depressed, anxious, feeling guilty, feeling ashamed, struggling with an addiction, it's not that these things aren't real. It's not that depression isn't real. The feelings are real. And there's no condemnation for these things. You shouldn't feel guilty. What you need to know is that they don't get to win. They don't get to have the final say because they've all been dealt with on the cross. It's not who you were born to be. People say to me, it's a final thing, people say to me, Andy, I like what you say, I respect your beliefs, and you're a good communicator. I agree with all of that. But people say, I don't believe in God, but I do believe that love is the greatest power in the world. To which I say, I'm sorry, 
you're wrong. If you're right about God, then you're wrong about this. Because if there is no God, if Jesus didn't do what he said he did, then the greatest power in the world is not love, it's death. Because if there is no God, then not everybody gets to love, but everybody gets to die. Everybody gets to die. And however well we live our lives, however happy we are, the best we get is extinction. That is it. That's the glass ceiling. Extinction. However life goes for you, whether you die at 95 in a mansion or at 5 from incurable cancer, you get extinction. We're here for a good time, not a long time. Well, most people don't even have that. If Jesus didn't do what he said he did. I'm telling you, he did do what he said he did. I'm telling you that not only do you get to spend eternity with him by being in him, by, by accepting him as, as God, but it starts now. It means that you can go away knowing that things are different. Knowing that whatever is trying to kill you doesn't get to win, doesn't get to have the final say. Because of him. Because of him. That's what it means to share the gospel. That's what it means to be good news. The good news is not that you've been naughty, you need to stop being naughty. The good news is God loves you so much. He came to find you. And he swapped his life for yours. Not just so that you could know him and do good things, but so you could have freedom. Freedom, more freedom than you could possibly imagine. So there's two ways I want to respond. For the, for the guys of us who are, for those of us who are Christians here, this week I'd like you to go and, if it's okay, to go and tell somebody that God loves them. There's what, there's 150 of us here? In four weeks' time, that's, I don't know what that is, 600 people. In, four, in a month, you could evangelize 600 people. You share the gospel with 600 people. If only 10% of those wanted to come on an Alpha course, you'd have 60 people on an Alpha course in a month. The Great Commission is not that everyone will become a Christian, it's everyone will hear the gospel. Like, if I came back in a year's time and you were doing that, if that was your identity as a church, you wouldn't be here. You'd have to move to a much bigger building. Do you want that? Do you want people to know the freedom of Jesus? Great. So when I say you'll go and share the gospel, you're going to tell someone God loves them. I know what happens. You, you feel afraid. You think, oh gosh, I don't want to do that. I feel scared. Put your, put your hands up if you're feeling scared of what I'm saying. You should go and share the gospel. Yeah. Congratulations. The enemy hates you. That's what fear is. The enemy hates you. You're allowed to be afraid. You're not allowed to stay afraid. Because you, what's your name, sir? James, you're no longer a slave to fear. Do you believe that? It's true because it's about you. You are a child of God. You are full of confidence. So you will do it. And you'll come back next week and you'll share the story. Just do it like this. It can be someone you know or someone you don't know. Just go and say, look, I really just want to let you know that God loves you. Have you ever been told that before? And then share your story. Tell them what Jesus is to you. The thing that changed it with Anne, this really is the final point. The thing that changed it with Anne is when I offered to wash her car a few months later, 82 years old, offered to wash her car. And she said yes. And we became really good friends after that. And so just before we left, left Manchester for Huddersfield, uh, she died. She wasn't a Christian. She, she died uh, from cancer. But because I'd offered to wash her car, because I hadn't sat in fear, when she died, the people surrounding her were all Christians at the end. She didn't have many friends because they'd already died. But the nurse who was with her was a Christian. And the three people sitting by her bed were Christians. And we were sharing the love of God with her. And we don't know whether she responded because she was already out of it by that point. But we did what we needed to do. We told her that she was so loved and that the glass ceiling of extinction wasn't it. And so I have this real hope. I don't know what happened to her, but I've got this real hope. I trust the Lord. 
I've got this real hope that when I get there, finally, when it's my time, the pearly gates will open and she'll just be there. Hello! <laughs> that would be awesome. So go and tell somebody that God loves them, because that's the gospel. I'm going to pray for you in that regard. Um, and maybe there's another response to make as well. So can we do the traditional thing of just kind of closing our eyes and bowing our heads? And then I'll let Lydia go swimming. So, um, Father God, thank you so much that you love everybody here, personally. You know everything about them, the good stuff and the bad stuff, but you love them. You love them so much that you died for them. And you didn't just die for them to make them feel guilty. You didn't do that at all. You died for them so that they could have fullness of life, freedom and joy and hope. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that fear doesn't get to win and it doesn't get to dictate and it is not the dominant force because of what you've done. And so for the people here, I just pray freedom. I just declare blessing and freedom over them.